Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And some of you have already been asking me, you said, hey, pastor, why are you looking so good today? And I appreciate you asking me that question. Mainly, why are you wearing a tie? And it's because it's my wife's birthday. And she said, for my birthday, I want you to wear a tie because she knows how hard that is for me. So anyway, I just wanted you to just appreciate how much I love my wife. Is that okay? All right, thank you. All right, good. She got nothing else. That was it. So I'm wearing a tie today. Great. Well, we're going to continue our study today. Uh, It's really a topical series that we've been in the last few weeks called Evidence. And we're looking at how our faith is evidence to a, a lost world about an unseen God. We've covered a lot of different topics, and this morning I'm not going to take the time to uh, review all that we are at, but I just want to begin this morning uh, by telling you and and making this statement, I'm really thankful to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I hope you would say the same thing. I hope that you, in your heart of hearts, would agree with me when I say I'm so glad that I'm saved today. I'm I'm thankful that uh, Jesus loves me, and I'm thankful that God has given me a calling. I'm thankful that he's given me a responsibility to, uh, as a father, to lead my family and, and lead my children and my wife and to be an example for them. I'm thankful that God has given me promises in his word and that he has given me an abundant, victorious Christian life. I'm thankful that I have the privilege to live in this city. Come on. It's okay. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's so expensive. doesn't matter. Man, I'm thankful I get to live here. I'm thankful that God's called me here. I'm thankful that, you know, even though we live in a place that has a rather antagonistic attitude towards Christianity. By the way, I don't know if any of you saw the study that came out last week on CBC, but British Columbia is the least religious province in the entire country. Did you guys see that? We had a huge jump. It's over 52% of our province claim no connection to any kind of faith at all whatsoever. That's amazing. I, that's not a record I'm proud of, but what I, I, the reason I tell you that is because I'm thankful that God has called me to be a light in one of the darkest places in our country. God's called you to be that. He's called our church to be that. And so I'm thankful for all of these things that God has given to us. He's called us to shine the light of the gospel, but yet the Christian life is filled, though it is filled with a lot of privilege and joy, the Christian life is not easy, is it? The Christian life is challenging. Uh, to live for God, it's, it's, uh, it's hard sometimes. We face loss. We go through hardship. We struggle. We fail. We face and we give into temptation. Uh, there's times that we let other people down. There's times that we fall into sin. There's times that we uh, fall into uh, and really fall away from God and away from our faith. And there's times uh, that we just simply struggle so much and get discouraged and depressed and we are, are, are struggling in the Christian life. And if you're like me, There's moments in this faith journey that I'm on where sometimes it feels like abdicating my responsibilities and abdicating my calling seems like a better option than to just continue on struggling in this Christian life. Now, maybe I'm the only one who ever feels that way, but I think most of you can understand what I'm saying. Sometimes it seems easier just to walk away from it all than it is to continue on. If this is the Christian life, why am I struggling so much? Why am I having so much difficulty? Why does it seem like nothing's working out. Now, sadly, many Christians take that route. You, I'm sure, if you've been saved for any length of time, you could tell me names of people that once maybe walked with God, that once followed him, that once thrived and ministered even, that now no longer even say that they're a believer or a follower of Jesus Christ. I think all of us could identify that, and many people do. When the disappointments come, when the struggles come, they give up, they distance themselves, they suffer in silence. Now, I want to tell you this morning at the outset of the message that that 
That process, <laughs> giving up, walking away, giving into the discouraged life is not the answer, just so you know. It only compounds the difficulties. And those of you that have walked away from the Lord and you've come back, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't make things better, it just makes it more challenging. And so giving up is not the answer. So the question is, what do we do then when we hit a wall? What do we do when we are at a point of discouragement and depression or suffering or challenge in the Christian life that we feel like we don't even want to continue on and it seems like it would be better for us just to walk away? What do we do? How do we get back on track? How does a believer uh, who's, who's trying to live for God here in this city, how do we uh, continue to live as evidence when we're facing very difficult seasons of life? What do you do when you find yourself in that place? Well, that's what I want to encourage us with this morning, that the evidence of the believer is that we don't give up. <laughs> the evidence of the believer is that we continue on, that we press forward, and that we continue to pursue Christ with all that we have. And the example I want to share with you this morning is from the life of the Apostle Paul. And so I had you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 because I want to encourage you. Actually, why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Why don't you do that? If you got your Bible out, go there first. Let's do that. But I want to encourage you today with the Apostle Paul's mentality when it comes to facing the trials and the difficult seasons of the Christian life. Now, Paul was no stranger to trials. Did you know that? He was no stranger to difficulty. He had been through some things that none of us will ever experience. And I would say this, that for those of you that would say, Pastor, you have no idea what I've been through, I would say that the Apostle Paul has probably been through something equally as difficult or maybe even harder. As strong of a statement as it is. I want to just reveal to you here real quickly a few of the things that he went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. By the way, this is like a total man thing to like tell everyone what, all the hard things you've been through, just so you know. So he took the time in his writings to make sure to tell everybody how much he suffered, you know? But look at this. He says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Well, four, you say, why 40 stripes, save one? Well, 40 stripes was considered the stripe of death. And so they pushed him right to the brink of death. 39 stripes, that's whips. He says, thrice, three times was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice, uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils uh, by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Okay, he went through some perilous times. Okay, did you notice that? In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not. Uh, earlier on in the book, he opened it by telling us about a time in verse 8. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, inasmuch as we despaired even of life. He's, he's letting us into some of the darkest and most difficult seasons of his life. He says, I was pressed beyond measure. I mean, I was at the end of myself, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Notice that. So Paul knew what discouragement was. Paul knew what despair was. Paul knows how difficult and how challenging the Christian life can be, and yet the one thing that we know about the Apostle Paul is that he kept on going, isn't it? He continued on. He continued to press forward. He did not give up. He didn't just be like, hey, and by the way, Corinth, I'm kind of done. Paul is out, you know, and just sort of sign it, and that's the end of it. No. He continued on. He continued to be faithful. And so the question that I want to ask is what was his motivation? 
What was it that kept Paul continuing forward even though he faced so much difficulty, so much hardship, so much rejection, uh, so many uh, character attacks, so many things? How can we then is the question. How can we remain faithful, determined, moving forward in our walk with God and with our responsibilities? Well, thankfully, Paul let us in on his thought process, and that's what we're going to talk about today. He let us in in his mindset, the way that he approached life. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because in 1 Corinthians 9 is where Paul illustrates for us the mentality that he has to persevere and to continue forward in the challenges of life. Now, this is right on the heels, contextually, let's understand, this is coming after a great deal of talk about liberty in Christ. Now, we've covered some of that in the last few weeks. But he's saying that he has so much liberty in Christ, and then he says, because of my liberty, or even though I have liberty, I still approach the Christian life in a very determined, focused way. And this is what he shows us here as we begin in verse number 24. And what I I hope for us this morning to, uh, I guess, experience or to understand or to be challenged with is that it is possible for us to continue to move forward. It's possible for you in your deepest, darkest moments of life to continue to live for Christ and be a testimony to him and for him and reach others with the gospel. So we're going to come to verse 24 and we see here his mentality In verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Know ye not, so he says, don't you know, okay, he's given us an illustration now. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Temperate means discipline. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now this is a familiar passage, and I'm sure many of you have heard it before, but I want to really put some fresh light on it as the Apostle Paul gives us his focus, tells us what keeps moving him forward in the difficulties of life. And the first thing I want you to notice in this passage here is that Paul has a mindset of victory, a mindset of victory. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. I want you to get it. There's only two thoughts today, and I want you to get these points. He has a mindset of victory. Look back again at those verses here. He's writing to the church at Corinth. It was a church that was known, not the church was known, but the city was known for something called the Isthmian Games. And I totally cannot say it right. I've been practicing all week, but it's pretty close, all right? You can look it up. It's hard to say. The Isthmian, something like that. Yeah, the games that were there in Corinth, okay? It's hard to get out, and maybe you guys can school me on that after. But uh, basically, these were some games that were were held every two years, and it was in honor uh, of the Greek god Poseidon. And it was in an alternative or an alternative years of the Olympic Games, which we're all, of course, very familiar with. And so when he writes to the church at Corinth and he gives them this this picture, this illustration of somebody running in a race, it would have been very familiar to them. So Paul here, what he's doing is he's connecting his faith, he's connecting the race of the Christian life, and he's connecting it to this illustration of a race or of these games that would have been fresh in their mind. Now, what he's trying to tell us is that it is this. Nobody enters a race, nobody enters a competitive race without the goal of trying to win it, right? It was interesting to me to learn that even to compete in these games, you had to prove 
that you had trained for 10 months. Now, I don't know how they proved that. You know, I have no idea how they proved it. Like I wrote down every day, you know, I went and I went running. I don't know what it was, but they had to prove somehow that they trained for 10 months. And then for the 30 days before the games, they had to go to Corinth and meet there in the city. And they had to train in front of the judges and the people that were kind of over it. And there was all these restrictions as to who could compete and all of that. Uh, But primarily the thing was they had to prove and they had to show that they had in fact lived a life, at least for those 10 months, that was in preparation to try and win the race. This was not a sun run 5K, right? Now, this was not a turkey trot or a, I don't know, whatever all these funny races we do, color runs and, you know, it says, I just hope to get to the end, right? Or a walk. No, this was serious. This was competitive and nobody was in that race unless they were determined, unless they wanted to win the race. They did not enter the race to have a good showing or to beat a personal re- uh, record. We see here that they entered to win. They were striving for the mastery and they desired to win this elusive and interestingly enough, tax eliminating race. That would be cool, right? You win the race, you don't have to pay taxes. <laughs> that, talk about some motivation, right? You can imagine how hard they ran, right? So they were, they were in it to win it. This week, uh, uh, Max and I, Maximus and I have been watching uh, the, uh, the documentary, The Last Dance Together. And, and the reason we're watching is because I want my son to understand the greatest generation of NBA basketball, which was the mid-90s, including the GOAT, the one, Michael Jordan himself, greater than all the others. Anyway, okay, he's the best. And I want him to experience this. I want him to know about it. I want him to know and experience my childhood, you know, and to, and to see what a real basketball game looks like, because it's hard to find these days as they run around the three-point line chucking threes from the logo. But anyway, that's just my personal opinion about basketball. But so we're watching this, and one of the things that is so interesting about it is how they really do focus on Michael Jordan and his intense desire to win above anything else. I don't know, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying this flippantly, but he is probably, at least in recent history, one of the most competitive men uh, that has ever walked the face of this earth. Everything was a competition to him. Everything was a competition. Now, it got him into some gambling problems, yes, and that was a problem because he was so competitive. But it was so interesting as you watch this, how many times he would get competitive just because he knew that somebody uh, on their organization liked a player on the other team, and so he would just purposely go and just destroy the guy in a game just to prove that he was the best of all time, the greatest of all time. Well, we were watching, uh, the last one we were on is when in the Eastern Conference uh, Finals in 1993 against the New York Knicks, and uh, that was a great team. They started out with a 2-0 victory. They won the first two games, and they're up by two games. And uh, everyone was questioning Michael Jordan. They're saying, I don't know if he can do it anymore. They're on their pace for their third championship. And so, you know, people were like, I don't know if he's got the legs. You know, he might be worn out. And, and uh, they started really criticizing him in the press during that time, and, and he heard about it. He heard about it. And he heard about how much people were questioning him and wondering if they could get it together. And they're trying to come up with all these ideas as to why they were not going to win the series. And Michael Jordan basically made it personal. And he said, I am not done and I'm not out yet. And they won four straight games to win that, that championship. They went on, they beat Charles Barkley, the mound round of rebound, you know, and beat him and the Phoenix Suns in 1993 finals and uh, went on and win his third championship in a row. So we're sitting there watching it, you know, and they're, obviously they're building it, and, and Max and I are there, and I look over at Max, and I was like, oh yeah, he's the best, you know? And Max looks at me, and he just says, he's, I can't believe how much that guy wanted to win. That's what he said. He says, it's evident in everything that he did, he had to be the best. He had to win. I mean, he had to be the, the top one, and it's true. He was such a competitive and driven guy. And I share that with you, because I think this is the idea that Paul's trying to get across to us as believers, He's saying, listen, in the Christian life, there should be a competitive, a desire for you to strive to be the best that you can possibly be. 
Now, I know right away you're like, oh, okay, well, this doesn't seem very Christian of us, you know? And I'm not talking about a competition between one another. Just understand that. Okay, don't misunderstand me, right? We're not going to get to heaven. By the way, if we compared our life to Paul, Paul would win, right? He's already there. He's already got the wreath. He's, he's got it. So what's the point? No, no, no. We are racing. We are, we are persevering. We are continuing on to be the best that we can possibly be with the gifts and the talents that God has given to us. And it's a mentality that we must have as believers. That, listen, I want to succeed in the Christian life. That's why Paul used the terms. There's a prize. You run to obtain it. He said, strive for the mastery. See, if we're saved, you have already won Christ, and I'm thankful for that. We have an eternity, a home in heaven, and we have all of that. However, Jesus made it very clear in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and Luke 19 that whatever God has entrusted to you, your giftedness, your blessings, God's plan is that you would use it and develop it, not for your glory, but for his glory and his alone. And so Paul says, listen, when I'm in difficulty, when I'm struggling, I still approach the Christian life in the same way. I'm striving. I want to be the best that I can be. I want to use uh, the, the abilities and the, 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 the blessings that God has given me in the, in the best possible way. Now listen, the same way, we must be people that take the blessings and the giftedness that God has given to us. And we must strive to develop them and stretch them and use it for his glory. You know, many of you are gifted in so many different ways. I would say this, everyone is gifted. God has gifted you and you are who God created you to be and I want you to accept it and embrace it, okay? And say, man, God, thank you. But I wonder, are you striving to use that giftedness? Are you striving to use those blessings, whatever they may be, to serve the Lord and to reach other people with the gospel and to bring glory to Christ? Are you striving for that? See, we should have a mentality of life that, listen, I'm going to use what I have for the glory of God. I'm going to build it up. I'm going to strengthen it. I'm going to use it. See, Paul understood that there was a big picture here at stake. You know, Paul knew that heaven was real. Did you know that? He even alluded to the fact that he had experienced it, at least in a vision in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And maybe you know the story, but he talks about how he was caught up into paradise, the third heaven, and he saw things and he heard things that he couldn't even utter and talk about. The way I see it is that he sort of had a sneak preview of the coming attractions of heaven. And he knew that there was something great that was awaiting us. He knew that there were rewards ahead of us. You know, the athletes in the Isthmian games, they uh, won a crown that was made of leaves and it did not last for very long. But for us, he says that we are striving for a crown that is incorruptible. It's not something that's going to fade away and something that just withers and, you know, you chuck it in the trash after a few months. He says the thing that we are striving for, the reason that we are striving to be our best and to, uh, to serve our Lord in the best possible way is because there are rewards that will be seen. You might be thinking, well, pastor, why would I do that? <laughs> why would I live my life in this way? I have so much to do. I have so many other things that I need to accomplish. The answer for that is, as believers, we're called to be heavenly focused, aren't we? We're called to be looking upward, always looking upward. And the interesting thing about that is that when we live our life for what is to come, the rewards in heaven, the experience of being in Christ and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. When we live our life in that way and in that manner, what's interesting is that when we keep our eyes on him, we have so much strength for living for him right now. It's really interesting how that works. A pastor that, uh, a pastor that I follow, he said this this week. 
He said, I can face anything when Christ is my everything. And I thought that was good. I really find it so interesting that most of us will do anything to win in life. Most of us will do anything to win in life. We will try to see victory and success and growth in every single area of our life except for our life of faith. We'll do anything to win at work. We'll do anything to, uh, you know, get our financial portfolio where we need it to be and where we want it to be. We'll do anything to make sure that we provide for our wants and we'll do anything to win at our relationships and we'll do anything we can to make sure that we're fully entertained in all areas and in every possible way. But when it comes to the Christian life, it's a struggle for us. It's an afterthought to put any effort and to put any focus into our spiritual development. The point that Paul is making is that heaven must be our goal and the rewards that are to come is our motivation. In Philippians 3, verse 13, he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are before and pressing forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so he's calling us and he's encouraging us today to press on, to move forward, to have some motivation, to focus in on development and have a mindset of victory, to be in it, to win it. I'm in this Christian life. I want to succeed in the areas that God has given to me. And so accepting how he's gifted me and determined to pursue growth for his glory and because of the rewards that are to come. See, that's how Paul faced his struggles in life. And I really do believe that. I believe that. And that's why he led this out here for us. That's why he gives us his illustration he says that no matter what you're going through, you got to keep pressing forward. There's a reward in heaven. And you, you, need to, you need to strive. You need to have a mindset of victory. And that's really easy to understand in every other aspect of life, it seems like. But the Christian life, we struggle with that. And again, this is not a competition, okay? This is not about like, you know, I'm better than everybody else. That's the worst way to live the Christian life. But internally, do you have a competitive spirit internally? And that's what sets apart the greats, Right? in sports or whatever it may be, they are internally motivated. They're internally focused. Uh, That's why I like playing golf so much because it's mainly a battle against myself. (laughs) I gotta be competitive against myself. And as soon as my mind starts to go, there goes my drives, right? (laughs) That's the end of it. And I start to struggle. I gotta get focused again. I gotta, listen, that's how it is in the Christian life. When our mind starts to go and we start to get distracted and focus on other things, so goes our walk of faith. And we find ourselves then in a difficult situation and we're having a hard time correcting back to where we need to be. So we need to have a mentality of victory. But secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice, we need to have a lifestyle of discipline. So there's a mindset of victory, but along with that comes a lifestyle of discipline. Look back at verse number 26 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In the last two verses here of this chapter, he changes the analogy, and some even believe the analogy of striving for the mastery is also of a wrestling match, and and you can understand that certainly. But here he changes it from a runner and maybe a wrestler to now talking about a boxer. You see that there? And he says, I fight not as one that beateth the air. (laughs) And the picture that he's painting here is of somebody shadow boxing. You ever see that? You know, maybe some hype video on Instagram and some fighter's getting ready for the fight. You know, he's like, I'm terrible at it. So don't, you know, don't judge me. That's embarrassing. You know, okay. You understand what I mean. I should have got a video to show you or had somebody else do it. 
And uh, you know, they're doing this and they're, they're doing all this fighting in the air and everything. It looks super cool and they're flexing. You know, I like UFC, you know, they're always flexing in front of each other and they're, they're doing all of this stuff. And that's the picture he's painting. Now Paul says this, he says, I'm in a fight. He's like, but I'm not like somebody who's just sort of boxing the air. I mean, years ago when I was in high school, uh, and Julius isn't here so I can talk about it. Julius and I grew up together, and uh, we used to go out and play ball. Like, we lived to ball, you know? Like, that's all we wanted to do is play basketball. And so we go out, and we're always out in the park, and we would roam around all the local schools just looking for anyone who would play with us, you know? Because we just wanted to play with somebody. And so we're like, we go around, and we challenge people. And uh, when we were, I was probably 14. I was probably Max's age, maybe 13 or 14. And we're out at the park, and it was me and Julius. Uh, those of you wondering who Julius is, he plays the bass. That's Julius. And so we're out there, and, um, and his older brother was with us. And, I, I, you know, some stuff went down, let's just say. A few things went down, and so it basically got to the point where we're like, okay, we're going to fight. It's East Van, okay? I grew up in East Van. Some of you did, uh, you know. Uh, 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 whatever it is about East Van, sometimes there's a few more fights than West Van. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. <laughs> And uh, so we're, we're there, and, uh, and I'm like, okay, it's going to go down. And this guy who was on, he wasn't even playing with us. He was on the other, he was, it was bad. Okay, so we're going to go down. So here we go. So, so I'm like, I, you know, I'm tall, but I don't know how to fight very well. So I'm just like, all right, yeah, let's go, man. And, um, and I'm there, and Julius is there, and Jules is like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. So this guy comes over to us, and he's like, let's go, you know. And so I, this is before kids said, let's go. Let's go. And so what he does is he takes off his coat, he takes off his shirt, takes off his other shirt. It was like late 90s. <laughs> he takes off his other shirt. He's got his, you know, basketball shorts and he's got his jeans, baggy jeans, you know, which are coming back and everything. Praise God. And, uh, and he's there and he's kind of cut. And I'm like, okay, all right. And he just starts, and he just starts doing all this stuff, like, like karate stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to try to demonstrate it for you. And he does all this, you know, and then he's like this. Come on, right? You know. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be great. And so he starts coming over, and his buddies are there, you know, and they're egging him on. Everybody's screaming at each other. And he walks over, and this is where out of the blue, I was not expecting this. I'm thinking like, okay, you know, it's time. Out of the blue, Julius's older brother comes up here, and I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. He does a spin kick and kicks the guy in the face, <laughs> knocks him down, and then as he's coming down, he like uppercuts him, and boom, game over. Game, I mean, over. It's over, it's over, right? We're like, it's over. And, uh, and I'm just like, no, you know, you know how it is, right? You're a teenager. You're like, oh man. And his buddies come running, you know, I mean, but is that, that was it. That was, it was over. It was over. And we like walked him off the, like, you guys get out of here. We just walked him out of the park, you know, like you guys are leaving. And uh, okay, you say, why are you telling that story, pastor? You just want to show off. No, no, no. The point is that guy looked like he knew what he was doing. He did. Like, I was kind of worried for a second. But one guy came to act like he could fight, and another guy came to fight. Now, I'm thankful for his older brother. He's a missionary in the jungles of the Philippines. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's in some mountain province and winning uh, pagans to Christ. I mean, really, he lives in a village that's just full of pagan idolatry. It's amazing. And I, but I like to remind him of that story, and he's always like, oh, man. Uh, he saved my life that day. But one guy came to fight, one guy didn't. <laughs> one guy acted like he knew what he was doing, the other guy didn't. The other guy didn't know what he was doing. I think what Paul's trying to say to us, he's saying this, he says, listen, you're in a fight. And there's some discipline that needs to take place. And as we go into verse 27, what we see is that the fight that he's in is not against some outward foe, 
The fight is against himself, his flesh, the inward uh, part. He says his body here. And it's so interesting because he says, I keep under my body, I bring it under subjection. Uh, What he's talking about is that, you know, before we are saved, our flesh was what ruled us. But now that we are saved, it is our spirit that rules us and our body is to be under the spirit. But so often there's that battle that's happening within us, right? And so he says here, he says, listen, we need to make sure that we're in the fight. And then he talks about this idea of discipline, that we're bringing our bodies, we're keeping our flesh under subjection. It's interesting, the word literally means to pound it, to push it down. And he talks about this internal fight that we are in, and there's this constant battle. By the way, this is the Apostle Paul who said, of all sinners, he thinks he's the top sinner. Remember that. And he says that we're fighting and we're, we're, we're battling the flesh. And he says he doesn't want to do anything. Uh, the reason he battles is so that he wouldn't do anything to disqualify him in the work and the calling that God has for him. But as I've been thinking this week about this analogy of a boxer and somebody who's just sort of fighting in the air, man, that hit home for me. Because how often do we as Christians look like we have it all together? How often do we as Christians look like we're fighting the good fight of faith? Right? How often do we as Christians look like, yeah, we're leading our families in the right way? You know, it looks like, man, it looks like they walk with God. And they're serving God and they look. And here's the point I'm trying to make is that often we're like that fighter who's just beating the air, not really accomplishing anything. We're not really in the fight. We look like we're in the fight, but we're in fact probably losing the fight, the fight of the flesh, the fight of our sinful nature. And Paul is trying to get us across this. He wants us to understand, listen, there is a fight and you need to be engaged in that fight. And that fight is with your flesh. You need to fight back that old sinful nature. You need to be resisting it. You need to bring that into subjection. You need to be in control. You say, how do I do that? By simply not giving into your flesh any longer. Galatians chapter five, verse 16 tells us, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know that it is a decision that you have to make to walk in the spirit. Did you know that? It doesn't just happen. I wish it was. I wish it was like a switch I could flip, you know? Wake up in the morning, walking in the spirit, right? No, no. I have to decide to practice the presence of the Lord. I have to decide that I'm going to walk in his spirit. And once I decide to walk in the spirit, then that spirit will help me to fight against the flesh. But listen, a big part of it, church, is you making the decision that I'm not going to give into my flesh any longer. I'm going to bring it into subjection. God has given me the power and God has given me the ability through his spirit and with the guidance of his word to get my flesh, my sinful nature under control. He has given that to you. That is a gift that you need to put into action. It is a decision to go to war. It is not passive. It is real. It is fighting the good fight. And here's what's so amazing about it. When you decide as an individual that I'm going to fight the good fight, I'm going to battle against the flesh. I'm going to battle against what it is within me that is warring within me. I'm going to walk in the spirit. Here's what's so amazing. is When you determine, say, I'm going to stand up against my flesh, God will come alongside of you and he'll provide a way of escape. I love 1 Corinthians 10, just the next chapter over, that tells us there's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Here's, here's where it comes down to it. When we're faithful in what God has called us to do, God is faithful and comes alongside of us. He will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to, say that word with me, escape. I love this verse. You should memorize this verse. 
so that you may be able to bear it. Here's what's so interesting. When I battle the flesh, when I battle my sinful nature, God opens an escape door for me. It's the truth. God is faithful. He promised this to us. He said, listen, if you will take, if you will stand strong, I will provide a way of escape. And what is so amazing is that the more that I take the escape, (laughs) the more that I follow the escape route, the more I'm able to bring that body and that flesh under control. But you got to take the route. (laughs) You got to stand up for once. You need to say, no, I'm not going to do this. No, enough's enough. I'm not going to fall into that anymore. Paul is saying, live your life under control. And I want you to understand the reason we do that is not just for you, but it's for others as well. Notice again in verse 27, he says, I keep under my body, bring it into subjection. Then he says this, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul is not talking about salvation here. Let's look at, sometimes people get this mixed up. He's not talking about your salvation, like, oh, if I don't do this, then I'm going to lose my salvation. No, not at all. You cannot lose your salvation. You are saved eternally. God does the saving, not you, okay? But he's saying here, what I have preached, the life that I have preached, notice, okay, could lead to, he says, if I don't bring it under subjection, I might be a castaway. That means disqualified. So here's what he's saying. He's talking about his testimony. He's talking about his ability to lead others to Christ. That was Paul's first goal, wasn't it? And he's saying here, he says, listen, you're not just fighting for yourself, but you're fighting for your legacy. You're fighting for your testimony. Listen, you're fighting for your marriage. Guys, let's be real for a moment. The battle of the flesh and temptation that is all around us the sins of pornography and all of these things that are so easily accessible and destroy so many relationships. When you fight that and you resist that and you push it away and in the power of the Spirit, you take that escape route and you leave that behind you. Do you know what you're doing? You're bringing benefit to your relationship with your spouse or your future spouse. Does that make sense? It's not just for you. It is for your future. And so it's for your relationships. It's for your marriage. It's for your church family, and it's for your testimony and your ability to proclaim Jesus Christ. But you must fight. You must fight. You must fight that flesh. Man, it gets so hard, isn't it, when you're going through difficulty, though? It seems like you go through difficulty, and man, here just comes all this temptation piling on top of that difficulty, right? And you're maybe going through a hard time emotionally, or you're struggling in a situation, and it seems like there's more and more coming your way. Listen, I want to encourage you today, fight. (laughs) It's the evidence of your faith is that you're willing to have a mentality of victory and you're willing to live a life of discipline. I'm gonna discipline my life to bring glory to God. The disciplined Christian life is not easy, I get it. And we could talk, I could go for hours and hours talking about specifics in this way. But I wanna end this morning by just asking you this quick question right here. This whole idea of mentality of victory and this whole idea of living a life of discipline, how different would your life be if you could be disciplined in just one area of your life right now? Think about that for a moment. How different would your life be? Now, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. But for all of us, there's one area that we think of. And when I, when I say, what, where do you need to be disciplined? You're immediately thought of that one thing. I need to be disciplined in that. It could be your health. It could be your mental health. It could be a temptation. It could be sin. It could be a lot of different things that it could be. What's the one area? How different would your life be? 
how much would it change? How much comfort and joy would it bring to your life if you could just be disciplined in that one thing? When I think about it, I think, whoa, man, things would change. And God could use me maybe in a better way if I could just be disciplined. And Paul says you need to be disciplined in good things, which is resisting sin, resisting temptation, and pressing forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking about Romans chapter 8. I had mentioned this thought process to Josh, and he said, Romans 8, Romans 8, Romans 8. And I'm thankful for that. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, here's the result of not resisting, not bringing your body and your mind into subjection. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. A disciplined life that fights, that strives for excellence. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, please understand, this is only with God's help, brings life and it brings peace. And you know what? That sounds so much better than discouraged and depressed all the time, don't you? <laughs> life and peace. A life that is pursuing the things of God and his spirit and his work in me brings life and it brings peace. So I want to be encouraging to you this morning. Say, man, that's kind of heavy, Pastor. I want you to be encouraged this morning and be renewed in what motivated the Apostle Paul, someone who went through great trial and great difficulty. And I want you to know that one of the greatest things you can do is simply live by the Spirit. And here's what's so amazing, is that people take notice and they see that in you, and that then can become evidence of your faith to a lost world. So let's bring glory to God. Let's keep moving forward. And I hope that maybe you'll think of one thing today, maybe just one thing that you could be disciplined in beginning today and say, I'm going to pursue this. Maybe some of you just need to get your mentality to a place of victory. I want to I succeed in the Christian life. You're succeeding at work. You're succeeding in your business. You're succeeding in your finances. You will do anything to succeed in those areas. But your faith is just sort of like, okay, you know, once in a while I'll do it. Or maybe I'll go to church every once in a while. I'll connect in if I feel like it. No. Let's be disciplined. Let's pursue a life of faith as well.